We are back for another Codex Cantina episode, which is just two guys talking literature, trying to make sense of it. Now, we spend a lot of time pushing ourselves, trying to understand this literature, organizing it, and then bringing it to a conversational approach for how we deliver it. And we've absolutely put more money in it than we've gotten out of it. So if you guys are considering supporting this channel, we'd appreciate you checking out our Patreon link at patreon.com slash the Codex Cantina, as well as Ko-Fi of ko-fi.com slash the Codex Cantina. It all helps us in running the show, along with commercials, guys. So thank you so much. We're going to do a quick commercial break, and then we'll get on with the rest of the episode. Head up to the third floor, and on the sixth bookshelf in, on the ninth shelf up, fourth book in, you will find the transcript for today's video. That, that means we're we can be done to... with the video? They're just going to yeah. read it? Yeah, I mean, let's just go booktube, re- right? Let's just go read the transcript. But how do you know that was the right transcript? What if we changed one word? Oh. Oh, a different alternate universe, which I swear I'm in, or I jump from universe to universe. All right, <laughs> welcome to the Codex Cantina, where I am Una. And I am Crypto with a C. Oh. Today on the Codex Cantina, we are covering one of the most mind-blowing stories you would ever read in your life. And on this channel, we take stories and approach it in a conversational way. And boy, is this going to be an interesting discussion today. If you are down for learning and talking about crazy stories like that, hit that subscribe button. And as always, we start off with publication information. Library of Babel was first published in 1941, and our version was translated by Andrew Hurley. We'll leave a link down in the description where you can listen for free. Now, it is worth noting that Jorge Luis Borges worked in a library and found it very dull uh, over the many years where he was told he was working too hard and to not <laughs> to spend more time reading books. And it's also worth noting, I just learned this the other day, he apparently had these dreams occasionally where he'd just be entering into like the same room, like infinity ad infinitum. Like he would just go into the same room over and over and over again. And I feel like the clash of those two is where we're meeting today's story oof that would be scary that would that would be a nightmare oof but i think this is like leslie's best nightmare ever of all the smell of the wonderful books from all the universes she would be <laughs> like she died and went to heaven maybe the library is heaven i don't know where are we going with this one so for plot i got a good one for you ready for this one oh, okay there's a library with every book in it and plot <laughs> That's the shortest story ever. Would that book be in the library? (laughs) Am I remiss in my plot summary? Yes, but this is not one about plot. This is about a thought experiment. And it actually is an old philosophical idea. Our Barborges isn't the first to struggle with this idea of infinity or even infinity uh, library. But what does this story mean when a thought experiment hits literature? like this. And, you know, while he wasn't the first one, he's definitely the most successful in his implementation of that. So I'm going to tell you right now, I'm not rating the story at the end like we normally do, because how do you rate that, right? Am I rating the idea and the concept, which is rather mind-blowing and and you just end up down this thought spiral? Am I rating his execution of it? But how do you really separate that from its implementation? I don't know. It's, It's a hard thing to talk about, and I'm going to try to balance that line of talking about the thought experiment and the writing because it's it's this is an interesting story, I think. There's a lot here. I definitely think that this one broke me a few times. I found myself rereading many pieces over and over, and that would be my one 
warning or cautionary tale of this is maybe not try to sit down and consume it all at once, where if you can partition it off and give yourself a break to reflect upon it, it's going to allow you, I think, to absorb more. And that this story is not a story. It is something that is more of a teaching tool and to look at yourself and think about possibilities. So the opening quote, the universe, which others call the library, is composed of an indefinite, perhaps infinite number of hexagonal galleries. So what did you picture, first of all, when you're picturing this in your head? Like Me? I pictured, <laughs> of course me, I'm the only one here, right? Or are there are multiple <laughs> cryptos. I don't know. But anyway, I pictured a tiny little like door on the side of a mountain. Mm. And it is misrepresentation all on its own. And you open the door and you walk in and you're like, huh, I thought it'd be smaller. And it just <laughs> goes on for infinity. That's how I kind of pictured it. Like it, it, right from the beginning, you're thinking, well, what does indefinite and infinity mean? Aren't those the same thing? But mm. uh, like the first sentence I even had to stop and think about just one line in and I'm already contemplating the meaning of life. <laughs> I pictured, I pictured, I bounced back and forth between almost kind of like a beehive when he's just talking about the hexagonal design and how it just, you know, one room entered into another and every single room looked the exact same. And I also pictured, if do you remember like this old horror movie, like B level in terms of budget, uh, called Cube? Oh, yeah, that movie's amazing. Yeah. Yes. So you, oh, yeah. So you remember how they like they enter all these different rooms and and the whole place is kind of shifting in like a mind uh, mess up, if you will. Here's what's interesting to me is I think even just visually, because it's hard to picture based on the words that he gives you, at least in English, it's very hard to picture exactly what's going on here, even though he does use a lot of description. And it kind of reminds me, like it, it, it strikes that fine line. Do you know what liminal spaces are? Is that the one kind of like the hidden picture ones or it's a picture that makes you kind of like feel queasy or like, ooh, like almost vertigo-ish, right? Well, it's not, it's not necessarily hidden, but yes, they, they do make you feel uneasy. And usually it's like a barren landscape. The idea is that there's no focal point. There's no in or out necessarily. It just feels like it could go on and on forever in the same way that this library is kind of decided, like described. And what's interesting about liminal spaces, it's become real popular. You can actually look up like 10 minute videos on liminal spaces and just watch these creepy, like uneasy photos. And and, and it is calming yeah. for some people. Doesn't sound it. <laughs> but one of the theories is the reason why it might be so calming or even just interesting or uneasy for some is that there's no end. Liminal literally means like it's kind of like the threshold, meaning the idea of like you're in between spaces, the idea of like a hallway. You don't stop and play chess in the middle of a hallway. You go to a room. And that's the idea of liminal spaces is it leaves someone in this feeling of being stuck somewhere. And one of the theories as to why liminal spaces make you feel so uneasy is because that makes your mind wonder, where's the end? Where's the exit? How do I stop this? And it starts to make you feel uneasy and want to push you somewhere. And that's where that feeling of unease comes from. Because all of a sudden, you're like, am I stuck in an infinite loop? And that's what this story does so magically. I think even from the opening lines is it creates a prose version of a liminal space picture almost. <laughs> we were talking about nightmares at the beginning. I imagine that this is like a nightmare 
for an interior designer of a house that's into feng shui because it's like this is the anti-feng shui of everything because everything has to have its spot and stuff and it's like if you put your bed in the center of the room and you put the dresser you know not in i don't know it it, it feels like it it breaks your brain if you're somebody that has ocd or something right and the characters in this recognize it right so to to talk about the thought experiment and the book there's a quote the certainty that some bookshelf and some hexagon contained precious books yet that those precious books were forever out of reach was almost unbearable, right? So even Jorge is using words like unbearable, like he's trying to make you feel like how you do with those liminal spaces. I don't I don't mean he knew what liminal spaces were and was trying to make you feel that way, but I think he was trying to make you feel at unease. He wasn't trying to perfectly describe this. He's trying to make you feel like there's this... This eternal, like like the myth of Sisyphus, if that makes sense. Like you're constantly going to be pushing that rock and you're never going to reach the end. And that's the feeling that this story kind of accomplishes. And what I like about this story. Well, to what end, right? So what what is the purpose of that in the story? Well, I, I think what it's going towards, one of the ways I took it, right? And again, Borges, you can take it whatever way you want, is they write every possible word combination. Like you haven't, you have a, finite number of characters what they say it was 22 and i didn't understand 22. why it was tw- i didn't understand why it was 22 because that's not oh, spanish alphabet i like, thought you were gonna answer that for me that was like no, one of my questions that i needed no. to answer why 22 no i mean there's theories like <laughs> if you drop like the nya and the lya and you drop th- like like you could get there but like is that what he was going for i i don't know um but but there are theories out there like that but you have uh, only so many characters to work with and there's people out there, like literally there's a digital library of Babel, like a website that has generated every possible book because there's a finite number of characters, a finite number of words and pages per these book. So therefore you can calculate what every combination of these letters and such could be for this library. And someone did it digitally where it creates gobbledygook and one of them just so happens to exactly be Macbeth. One of them literally so happens to be our conversation at some point probably right i mean i guess maybe we don't take up 410 pages of a conversation here we'll see but (laughs) (laughs) but 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 here's the idea okay remember some how librarians were destroying some of these books like this is gobbledygook we can just get rid of this right yeah and and what i think is so interesting is we've talked before about how language is an evolving thing Language doesn't stand still. Well, there's countries that regulate it. <laughs> English That's particularly. True. English particularly does evolve. It does change. We have words that did not exist before. And if you go back and look at English from 100 years ago, not the same at all. And you go back 1,000 years, you're like, oh, okay, we're getting out there. you know, And keep going further and further back, and it's a totally different language. You can't even read it, right? So yeah. what does that mean? where let's pretend language continues to evolve to something we can't even recognize now. And these people are destroying part of the infinite, right? They're destroying what could be a book that is going to be written because this library is the universe. It has everything, but it hasn't been written yet. That language hasn't even evolved yet. And they're destroying it. Like, I thought that was just so interesting that we can think about how these people are doing these things, but maybe we don't even have the knowledge to understand it. And I think we saw commentary about that, too. This is a, this is a library that's, that's for the gods. It's not for humans. We can't contain all of this knowledge, right? And there's that book with the spiral of God that goes on forever, and it's kind of like that little dig at me where, 
humans can't comprehend it, right? Like that's the divine book. And it's almost kind of like making fun of the fact that we can't even take 22 characters and understand all the books made out of them. For me, I felt like Jorge was trying to say that all information is important and that no matter how you may interpret it, it may be valuable to somebody else and that you should take that in consideration when learning new things or disregarding other people's opinions on information. Well, it's interesting, too, because all information might be important, but it to me, the story accepts that you can't, even if you had all information, you couldn't use it. You couldn't, in your finite, small, little human brain, unlike Borges, which was probably gigantic because he's really smart, we, we can't even use perfect information if we had it. Like, there were librarians in here that were kind of like waging wars on, on this gobbledygook, getting rid of information, right? Well, guess what? There's a book in this library that will literally tell you how to avoid that, how to stop wars, how to stop famine. But the problem is, is it might be a little bit different from some of the other books then how do you know which one's true? Because there's books that tell you that's true and books that verify that the books are true or true. Like it goes on to the point where even if you did have that information, verifying it, understanding it, it's almost near impossible for the average human being. So while knowledge, I agree with you, is perfect and is very valuable, our ability to comprehend it, organize it, and use it is, is almost like a, an exercise in futility. And we've seen this in many stories, how it's used, correct, where if we went back in time and we were able to give them information, it wouldn't be any usefulness to them because they wouldn't be able to read it or understand it. You could go back and give them a physics book from 2020 to 1820, and it might not advance technology or help them at all because it is just gibberish to them. Or you give them computer code and it wouldn't help them at all. So, yeah, I understand what you're saying is it's it's important but is it useful can you use it right all right here's another thing that i thought was really interesting i loved that you think of a library when you and i were growing up we had card catalogs right we didn't have the digital computers to search for you had card catalogs that you had to sift through to find the book that you needed right well here they don't have a catalog this this book is the universe this book is all information right the library i'm sorry the library is all information with all books that contain that so a catalog would be redundant. There's, there's no point to having a catalog because that would be superfluous information on top of the already perfect information in the library. So therefore, the library itself becomes not only a documentation of everything, it also is a catalog, itself. right? Where to get to book B, you read book A, which points to B, and book B points to C. So, so it's like this referential challenge to get to information too. I thought that was so interesting. The concept, if you do have perfect information, perfect knowledge, there's no such thing as like a card catalog or, or a way to organize it. Like that was really hard for me to kind of like wrap my brain around, I felt. Do you, oh, it, it just, I feel like it, the science fictionness of this is combating the realistic of knowledge and in society, what we deem worthy and it just imagine just wandering around searching all this card catalog for the information that you need. It, it's going down a rabbit hole that is already a rabbit hole. I just, oh, my mind. Pfft. Yeah. It's crazy. Well, and what's interesting, too, is 
the duplication of information? Like, does it really matter if the comma is moved one space or between words between books? Does that change things that much? And there's always those jokes about how <laughs> grammar matters. Uh, you know, <laughs> punctuation it, it, and pausing yeah, Don't get matters, me wrong. Yeah. There, there's, part, there's parts of that that are funny. We but ate grandma. Almost, <laughs> it almost mimics <laughs> that too, where, I mean, there's that thought experiment of, okay, um, isn't math wonderful? Like, I want to retile my, my kitchen. It, it's, it's 12 feet by 12 feet. So I know I need to go buy 144 tiles to retile my kitchen. So I retile my kitchen with 144 tiles. Bada boom, I'm the smartest man alive, right? And someone else who has perfect knowledge says, I don't understand it. You're like, what do you mean? I use math. You know, 12 times 12 equals 144. Isn't that cool that I did that math to figure out how many tiles I needed? He's like, no, you already knew how many tiles you, you needed. It was 12 by 12. I'm like, yeah, but that's 144 tiles. He's like, it's the same thing. And I think that's what's so interesting about math is we think of it as input. 12 times 12 equals output, 144. But that's not what math says at all. Math says literally those two things are the exact same thing. So when you have this library of perfect information, okay, what does that mean for redundancy, right? To that point of if one thing moves or not. How do I know that, that this, this representation of this gobbledygook of characters and this over here aren't just saying this is, this is saying 12 by 12, but the difference is over here, I'm saying this is 144, but that's the same thing right? This is the craziest thought experiment when it comes to this library that Borges just does a really good job, I think, of, of representing, I think, a really cool thought experiment. Like this is uh, another way to think about this one is, is I think more people have probably heard of the infinite monkey theorem. theorem. Have you heard of that one at least? Uh, yeah, but that might have been freshman class in 1998. So how about we get a refresher course? I'll audit. <laughs> so so re remember, that theorem is if you had infinite monkeys or a monkey that could live forever, doesn't matter, is you sit him at a type a keyboard, he types away, he type, 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 type. Eventually, you give him enough time to type, 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 type. He will write Shakespeare. He will rewrite Macbeth. If, he, if he's the infinite library of trying all different combinations and you just let him just sit there and type, he'll eventually accidentally type Shakespeare because given enough time and enough repetitions, theoretically, all permutations are possible. He could accidentally write the manuscript for you and I right now. He could, I'm, you know, what, 40 right now, 60 years from now, okay, when I'm, when I'm on my deathbed and I'm 100 years old, I'm going to live that long. You just wait and see, right? I believe it. I'm, I'm going to write some note to my son and to you, Crypto, because you're also alive at this time. We're, we're still oh, doing, thank you. we're still hanging out and doing YouTube videos and book chats, right? And I'm going to write this letter that describes my life and, and what I wanted to accomplish and what I regret. Well, the monkey already wrote it. Right. Given enough time, the monkey can just throw enough characters out there. Eventually, the randomness will have exactly typed out that letter and my life that hasn't even existed yet. And that's what's crazy about this Borges story is this knowledge, this universe of everything. These characters are representing languages that haven't even evolved to be and people are trying to destroy them. So cool. So cool. Does it give you pause that maybe it doesn't mean anything? If there is so much, it's, it's overwhelming to me. Well, that's the problem is how can 
infinity. Exactly. It, you just exactly can't grasp it. Exactly to that point. You yeah. and I do not have the perfect knowledge to determine the difference between the gobbledygook and the useful information. And sometimes the gobbledygook is useful. We just don't know how to use it yet. And that's what's like, oh, you got me. <laughs> I guess it just shows the difference between somebody that could even pretend to write about it like Jorge and us who are just broken trying to in, and understand what that could even mean or interpret. Yeah, it, it 22 or 23, whatever it was. Wow, it's incredible. Yeah, incredible. So our friends, uh, Noah and Yasmin, have also had a talk on this. I'll leave a link to their talk below if you want to see more talks on Borges because this guy is just so cool and fun to talk about. Let's put a link down below for our playlist for other Borges talks. Crypto, let's move into our subjective wrap-up and ratings is your brain back yet? Can you? I already told you I'm not rating this one. Are, are you going to rate this one? I don't think it's fair to give this one a number. This is something that makes you think about extraordinary things. It makes you contemplate life. Um, it's a little bit kind of comical uh, philosophy. It's meta. I, I don't think that this is something that if I gave it a number, you would even understand because there are numbers. <laughs> well, <laughs> I played, do sir. think that there's a lot here. Uh, I think it's very valuable as a thought exercise, discussion, philosophy, and there's so much that we didn't touch upon. I mean, literally, we could have gone down the religious route more mm -hmm. so than the philosophy route of this is the basically Tower of Babel. And there's a lot of religious references in here to that idea of what would it be like to have all knowledge? Would it be good? No, it wouldn't. Because if you look at the biblical references of this, that that broke mankind thousands of years ago when we tried to reach the God status, when we tried to reach the heavens and know all things, we were torn back down again. And I think that's maybe a little bit of a warning from um, Borges here. Um, so, yeah, just uh, just read it and see what you think. But do it in pieces so that... You don't hurt yourself like I oh, do. Oh man, oh man, I went, <laughs> I went full in, did it in one sitting, and then sat there in a coma for like twenty minutes, like ah, oh! <laughs> <laughs> it's so cold, it's it's Borges, <laughs> it's, it's Borges, it's what does cold even mean? <laughs> I need a footnote, footnote that, footnote that. <laughs> All right, guys. I hope you had fun today because we love doing this. If you're in for literature discussions like this and want to hang out some more, hit that subscribe button. Join us. Check out our Borges playlist down below where, I mean, if you read that, that book I was talking about on, you know, the sixth uh, uh, floor on, on bookshelf nine, third book in, the, the, the manuscript, I'm already telling you how many books are going to be in that play the playlist or how many of our videos are going to be in that playlist. A lot. So, <laughs> all right, guys, we had we had a great time hanging out with you today. We post videos every Monday and Thursday. We'll see you on the journey. Una out. Peace. <laughs>